Man, that brings back some good memories. Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the good things about having a sibling growing up is you had somebody to sell out. You know, if you were getting in trouble for something, it's like, well, they, uh, they did this. Kids are funny, man. Uh, you can catch them red-handed while they're doing something, and it's not until that point that they're like, oh, wait a second, maybe I shouldn't be doing this thing. Like, I, I just didn't even think about the fact that writing on the walls with a Sharpie might have been a problem. And uh, we're, we're actually going through this thing with our youngest right now where we will, we will see her do something that she knows that she's not supposed to do, or, or, and we'll call her out on it. And we're standing there watching, and, like, she kind of makes eye contact with us, and we're like, hey, you shouldn't have done that. And she kind of gets this, you know, look on her face where she kind of scowls a little bit and says, you're being mean. It's like, no. No, you're doing something wrong. You know, who's the parent here? You know, who's in charge kind of thing. And where she just does not want to admit any kind of culpability at all in her wrongdoing. You know, she just doesn't want to, just doesn't want to have those feelings of shame or guilt or, you know, any of those kinds of things about uh, being corrected in that. And it's kind of funny. Well, it's actually not funny. Uh, it's, it's sometimes sad, uh, interesting, I'll put it that way, that, that depending on how we've grown up and some of the things that we've observed and been taught uh, just by seeing how other people handle what they do after they've done something wrong, how something like guilt can be so, uh, so damaging for us and, and how we hold on to those things, how we feel about those things and how, uh, how serious that kind of emotion, uh, that implication, those implications can be for our lives. Um, and, and I don't think we always set out to, to be this way or to experience these types of emotions this way on, on, on purpose. For example, my friend was uh, having a birthday party for his daughter at Chuck E. Cheese. And for those of you that have never been to Chuck E. Cheese, uh, congratulations. <laughs> but Chuck E. Cheese is one of those you can go and get a pizza and then there's all kinds of games for kids. And some of those games spit out tickets for your kids to collect and then go get a, pri- go get a prize. And so... My friend is there, he's at Chuck E. Cheese, and there's this mom that was not a part of the, their birthday party, but he noticed there's this mom that was taking her little kid and picking her kid up and putting him in one of these games where if you drop the ball in the right spot that you get a bunch of tickets. And so she had picked the kid up like inside of it so, so he could just, you know, bend over and just put it exactly where you wanted it to be instead of like just tossing it in like you're supposed to. And so you saw this happen and the machine is just spitting out like tickets, 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 tickets until it stops running. And so at that point you think, all right, maybe a little bit of chagrin there for the mom. It's like, all right, let's move on to the next one. But no, she looked for an employee and she berated the employee for having not come and refilled uh, the tickets. And so she was upset. And and so that employee went and said, okay, I'll take care of that, ma'am. And uh, my friend was like, oh, he doesn't know what's going on. So he comes back, he refills it, and my friend pulls him aside, and he's like, hey, she's like picking her kid up and putting him in this thing, you know, kind of cheating, cheating the game. And uh, the guy's like, well, people do that all the time. And uh, my friend is the kind of guy that he, he'll actually go say something, so he did. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, oh, you're right, I'll stop. No, actually, she like turned around and started cussing him out and said, this is none of your business, you know, kind of thing. And it's just, it's one of those things that it, you're kind of blown away by, by it's, it seems surreal that that's happening, that somebody would actually do that. Because you think, like when this woman was, was a little girl and she was thinking, maybe she was thinking about having a family, or, or maybe when she became a mom, she's like, oh, the joys of motherhood and all that kind of stuff. Like at some point was she thinking, you know what I'm going to do with my kid? I'm going to teach them to cheat at Chuck E. Cheese. So they can get great plastic prizes. Like, like that, is, is that really, was that her childhood dream or like her dream of motherhood? And it's like, where, where does that come from? Where does that thing 
show up in our lives. And maybe you've had something like that happen in your life where you've done something, or you've seen somebody that you know, they do something out of left field. They say something, it's like, where did that come from? Or who says that? Or who does that kind of thing? Or that just kind of slipped out. And, and where do those things come from? Those emotions that it seems like, man, so out of character for that person. Where, where, uh, how, does that, how does that show up? But one of the things that happens when, when those type of events happen is it, it clues us in on something that's just, uh, just, just the truth about how we live life and how we're impacted by the things around us, is that when we do or say things that seem out of place or inconsistent with our character, they actually aren't coming out of nowhere, they're actually coming from within. And it's one of those things that it's just kind of when that ha- happens, it's kind of an indicator, an opportunity for us to kind of stop and evaluate. And it's like, what, what is going on or what's the thing that's been happening for this to pop out? It's one of the evidences of sin brokenness, the fact that we have to filter things that are in our hearts and minds uh, so they don't, we don't blurt out and they, they don't happen. That really ought not to be in our hearts and minds in the first place. Uh, and as we're exposed to and we learn things that foster and mold and shape and uh, you know, engender the thoughts and feelings and emotions that undercut and undermine us and our relationships with other people, the outward consequences all get most of the attention, but it's the inward root problem that actually needs to be healed and taken care of. And so in order to be free from being controlled by these damaging emotions, we have to get to the heart of the matter. It's the thing behind the thing. And so every, over the next four weeks, we're going to get to the heart of the matter by addressing four different emotions that exert way too much control over our lives and the lives of people we know and how we can address those things in a godly manner and live out the freedom in Christ that we're meant to experience in this life. And so every once in a while when we do a sermon series, which is true for this particular one, uh, sometimes it's a book that I've read or, or something that kind of inspires why we're focusing in on that particular thing as a church. And so um, this sermon series is, is inspired by a book and, uh, you know, just happens to be called Enemies of the Heart. And so you, you like that, the synergy uh, there and, and how that worked? And so this book is actually written by Andy Stanley. Um, and so I, I just want to let you know that's, that's where uh, some of the inspiration for this is coming from. And so if you want to check that book out from the library or uh, pick it up um, online or something like that, uh, feel free to do that. Um, even if you're someone who feels a little bit dubious about faith, where you're like, I'm not sure if I'm even totally convinced on this Jesus thing, um, the way in which we're going to approach these four different emotions are going to be so practical for you uh, that you'll see the connection between uh, how following Jesus makes a significant difference uh, in our lives. And so we're going to be... taking a practical approach to looking at, understanding, and healing from four emotions, guilt, anger, jealousy, and greed. And so today, like Chip pointed out, you came on the right Sunday because we're going to talk about guilt, which I know you've never felt or heard about in church before. Um, But before we get to that, we're going to talk about uh, the thing behind the thing, and that's the heart. We know, culturally speaking, like, I mean, their heart commercials and billboards and stuff all over the place that it's a big deal for us. We know that when our heart is healthy, it's a, it's a, it's a good thing. And so we know, for example, like to eat heart healthy foods, that's something we should do. Uh, heart healthy foods like honey nut Cheerios, for example, um, it's right there on the box. If you look at it, it's, you know, got a picture of a heart and it'll lower your cholesterol, right? So, so we know to do that and heart healthy activity, like, um, 
Uh, like not smoking, right? I mean, we can sit around and stuff and not do anything, but like as long as we're not smoking, we know that's heart healthy activity, so that's great. And we know that heart checkups are, are all pretty important things, but unless you actually have a health issue um, or you, you, know, you walk up the stairs and you're out of breath, like most of the time we're not thinking about, oh, how many, how many beats per minute is my heart beating? Unless you have like a watch or a Fitbit that's tracking that and it makes you anxious because you're like, always checking that. You're not thinking about, you're not counting how many breaths you have or that kind of thing, unless something's not working properly, and then you're concerned about it. Um, but even when we do have a medical condition with our heart, sometimes it is something that's just wrong with that, but most of the time, oftentimes, our hearts are affected by something else that's going on, another part of our body or some other kind of external influence that causes things to not work the way they're supposed to, uh, supposed to work. Last year, um, I actually had an irregular heartbeat that I developed, and so I was a little worried about it, so I talked to my doctor about it, and they were like, all right, we're going to put you on this halter monitor to monitor you for 24 hours, and so it's going to you know, take all kinds of readings and that kind of thing. And I got back, and he's like, oh, you need to go see a cardiologist. And I was like, sweet. That's exactly what I was hoping to hear. Uh, and so I went to the cardiologist and did the EKG thing and a couple other tests. And he's like, yeah, there's something wrong. Uh, and, but, but don't be too worried about it. It's not a huge deal. And so what we're going to do, actually, is you, you're on thyroid medication for your thyroid. I have to take it every day. Let's just bump down that dosage a little bit and see what happens. It's like, okay, that, that's, that's fine. Let's, let's try it. You know, thinking, how, how could this all be interrelated, interconnected? Would you know that cardiologist maybe actually knew what he was talking about? And so we did that, and the problem went away. And, and it's one of those things, like, you know, we don't always know how interrelated and interconnected these things are in our lives. Sometimes seemingly unrelated issues to the heart are affecting us in ways that we don't expect until something significant happens. We have that blow up or something comes out of nowhere. We're like, where is that coming from? And while we aren't talking about heart muscle health, the same principle applies to our metaphorical heart or our spiritual heart and how the things that we observe or the things that we're taught or that we're learned or the things that we do in this life can affect how our heart is healthy and how the emotions that we feel in it tend to control who we are and how we live our lives. Um, here's what we know to be true about our hearts from Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? That's encouraging, right? It's like, no, oh, we're, we're done. All right, see you all next week. Uh, and then verse 10. Verse 10 has got to be better, right? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. And you think, wait a second, is that... Is that actually a comforting thought? I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if, if that's the case. If the first verse is true, like, what does that mean about the implications of the second one? And, and we all feel that tension. Like, we know what it's like to know the good that we ought to do, and then we don't do it for some reason. We know what the right decision would be, but we choose to do the wrong thing. Or uh, we constantly do the things that our best, best selves wouldn't do. Like, I know my best self would not do certain things, and yet I put him on the back burner all the time with some of the things that, that I do. Uh, we experience letdown and pain and brokenness, and that impacts the decisions that we make. And we know we don't want to feel those things, and we know we don't want them to affect us in the way that they do, but somehow we just can't seem to help it, and we don't know why we feel that way. On top of that, we know that as followers of Jesus, as Christians, that we want our hearts and minds to be directed wholly toward God. We want to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so this knowledge that 
man, I, I don't always do things the right way that I should, and I know God's going to be examining that and looking at that, depending on how we're handling those emotions that come along with it, and in particular, the emotion of guilt, we may not be feeling the freedom of grace and mercy that God's love is meant to enable us to feel. And so that's why we're going to be talking about guilt this morning, because one of these major enemies of the heart, that if we don't think about it in the right way, and if we don't handle it in the right way, it's one of the things that hinder us in our relationship with God. And, and one of the interesting things about guilt is that guilt is, uh, I don't know if you know this, but guilt is actually a noun, and yet it's one of those nouns that we've turned into a verb. It's kind of like Googling stuff. You know, now, now that that has become a verb, but it started off with Google as a, as a thing uh, that, that, you can, that you can use, but now it's turned into a verb. Guilt is the same way, uh, is the same thing. Um, how many times have you uh, been guilted into doing something? Or how many times have you tried to guilt someone in, into doing something? Not that any of us would try to manipulate uh, someone to act the way that we want or anything. Um, but we would see if we took an honest, honest assessment of guilt in our life and, and, and how other people feel guilty and how we felt it, we would see uh, that guilt inside of, inside of us always has this nagging sense of owing something. Um, and one of the really interesting connections that we're going to be making with all four of these emotions that we talk about is that there seems to be this debt-to-debtor relationships relationship and how we think about and how these emotions affect us. Guilt, for example, uh, convinces us that we owe someone something. And so guilt says, I owe you. Uh, like we even use this in our language with someone when we address our guilt. We'll go up to someone and, they, and we'll say, when we're about to t- tell them that we're sorry, um, I owe you an apology. Or you could stop there and not actually really apologize. Um, I just owe you one and I know that, but I'm not going to say I'm sorry. Uh, in fact, if we do have guilt, we're often motivated out of this debt-to-debtor relationship. We might buy something or do something extra, ni- extra nice, like as a, as a husband with my wife. You know, I might do or say something stupid, which never happens. Um, and, and maybe I would buy her flowers or something like that, you know, as a way to, as a mea culpa, you know, here's some chocolate or something like that, which um, I should probably do a lot more often than I do. And, and so we'll tend to try to, like, buy back something in that relationship. Um, for example, if you do something, if you've got kids and you do something really stupid, say something dumb, or you, you know, maybe you get really angry with them and you know that's ridiculous, maybe you would try to, uh, to buy back some of their affection in that, uh, in that situation as a way to say sorry. And so maybe you would take them to Chuck E. Cheese, uh, for example, and, you know, cheat on the tickets so you can get them cheap plastic things. Um, and, and sometimes it's, it's stuff that we learn based on someone else's behavior and how they treat us in their own form of guilt. Like if you grew up in a broken home and you had a parent that kind of was out of the equation and left, but they're still connected there and they're trying to kind of buy your affection, they may have given you like all the video game systems and all the cookies and candy and stuff that you wanted uh, because they're trying to find a way uh, in order to like make you know and feel that they still love you and care about you. Uh, or even like when we do it ourselves, our own guilt, when we've done something in our life that's left unresolved, maybe we've cheated on a test or on a person, you know, and we hide that thing 
for a bunch of years, so we carry the weight of that guilt. Or maybe we've hurt someone, we blew up at somebody, and we know we hurt them long ago, and so we kind of wrestle with that because every once in a while something happens that reminds us of that, and that guilt just kind of nags at us. And it's because deep down inside, that emotion is still trying to control a piece of your heart uh, because you still feel the weight of conviction of what you've done. And so when we feel that guilt, we feel like we're in debt to that other person. And here's the thing that we do, and here's why it's a big problem for us. When we feel like we're in debt to another person, uh, it's very clear like what happens to that relationship. When we continue to feel guilt, we start seeing that person less and less. Let me give you an example. If you owe someone $50, uh, maybe you, you know, a year ago you owed them $50 and you haven't paid them back, how often do you think you're going to see that person? Not very often because you're going to avoid them because you owe them $50. Or, or, you know, the vice versa. You loan somebody $50, and for some reason, the relationship just kind of went away, and I can't figure it out. I mean, they just happened to not have the money every time we saw each other, but for some reason, they seem to be avoiding me. And, and that's what happens. It's what happens between us and God when we feel guilt in our relationship with him. It happens with us and with other people when there's that guilt that's kind of in between that, us and that relationship. Um, we just start to outright avoid that person. And the way we try to get rid of it on our own might be things like uh, tell, convincing ourselves or telling us um, ourselves things like, well, that was a long time ago, and I've changed, and it's different, you know, that's water on the bridge, that kind of thing, and I'm sure that they've never thought about it again, but when it keeps nagging at us, there's a reason for it, and the reason for it is that because we haven't dealt with it head on, and we haven't dealt with it in particular the way that Jesus gives us an example of how we handle guilt. Because what Jesus does is Jesus takes our guilt, he takes our sin against him, uh, and God sends Jesus to not only live here on this earth and teach us, show us the way to live and to be redeemed and reconciled to God, but, but Jesus dies on the cross for our sin, and he's raised again to, so that we can experience new life. It's what he does on the cross. He deals with our guilt head on so that when God examines our hearts and minds as Christians, we can experience grace and mercy in that because he erases our guilt through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're grateful for that grace, but it doesn't mean we ignore that example that he sets for us in our relationship with God and with each other. Um, this example of redemption is not an excuse to not seek the same type of reconciliation from what we've done in our relationship with God and each other. And here's a, before we get into the real practical uh, part, part of this, I, I want to give a major caveat here because I think uh, there's something to, very important that we need to provide some clarity on when it comes to guilt and how we experience this in our life and, and how we've been taught and maybe even sometimes manipulated. Because so, some of you feel guilt for things uh, for which you are not guilty. And so false guilt is a real thing. And so part of, part of this is, is actually taking a step back and evaluating, hey, am I actually guilty of this thing, or is this a lie that I've uh, come to believe because either Satan is whispering in my ear to convince me of it, or because somebody in my past has manipulated me into believing that I'm culpable for this guilt that's really theirs? And so I, I just want to make sure that we mention that and, and say that really clearly. Um, false guilt uh, is, is often experienced by survivors and those who have been abused. 
And so that's why it's so important to kind of take that time to be in a communal relationship with godly men and women who can help to provide counsel and distinction because uh, hopefully we're doing that well as Christ followers and not putting guilt on, on people who should not be uh, feeling it for things that they haven't done. To be able to discern the difference between those lies that deprive us of experiencing God's grace um, and the righteous, versus the righteousness of God that leads us to repentance. And so I just want to mention there is a distinction between those things. Um, and if you need help discerning and clarifying from that, I want to encourage you. I mean, you can talk to me about that. I would love to help out with that. Uh, but I would encourage you to talk to uh, someone that you're here with, uh, a believer in Jesus, a follower in Jesus, your small group, wh- wh- whomever it is. Because um, some of you are carrying some weights that, that you should be unburdened of. All right? Um, so what we're talking about this morning, uh, this, uh, this idea of overcoming guilt and getting rid of this emotion that's controlling us is in the context of taking ownership of our own guilt, the things that we're convicted of that we've actually done wrong, uh, not someone else's or something that we've manipulated, manipulated into. And so here's, here's one of the big secrets to overcoming guilt is, uh, is this, that the things that we're hold secretly, holding secretly, those guilt, those guilt things, they lose their power when they're exposed. Uh, Confession, then, is the thing that we're called to do uh, to deal with the emotion of guilt head-on when it comes to our lives as Christ followers. Confession frees our hearts from the oppressive power of guilt. And so one of the the powerful uh, gospel-directed verses uh, in the Bible that help us to to know and understand what this looks like is 1 John 1, verse 9. And John writes this, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Which is a very powerful thing. That when we recognize that we're broken by sin and that we need something different, that we can't somehow, you know, we just don't have the power to accomplish on our own. And we recognize that in our lives. That, that not only is God, you know, not just going to erase us off the face of the earth, but he is faithful and just to forgive us when we confess those sins to him and we seek out his grace and mercy through Jesus. That's a powerful thing. I mean, that's gospel good news message uh, for, for us in this life. That we, um, when we confess, when we confess to God, God, uh, that he is faithful and just to forgive us. And so that's the, that's the big major step is that when we confess, we need to acknowledge to God, like, here's the thing that I'm guilty of in, in my wrongdoing and recognizing that he is faithful and just to forgive that. But here's, here's the, a little bit of a distinction here. This is not just, confession is not just for us to experience catharsis, to feel better about ourselves and the situation. Confession is actually meant to lead us into life change because here's, Here's kind of the, um, the trap we get into or maybe the spiritual loophole when we take this verse out of context and how we're supposed to handle, handle our sin is that you can read this and say, okay, man, I sinned and I, I messed up and I did that thing. I know I'm not supposed to. Well, but 1 John 1, 9 says, if I confess that God's going to forgive me and that's awesome, then Tuesday comes along. Oh, man, I did, <laughs> I did that thing again. I can't believe I did that. Um, and, but I, I just need to confess to God and he's going to forgive me and we're in good shape. And then two years, three years, 10 years down the road, we're still fighting and wrestling with that same sin. And we know we have the opportunity to confess and that we're forgiven. And yet we're still bogged down by the weight of guilt in that thing. And, and we're left wondering, it's like, okay, is this, is this really what God meant for us to experience? Is this really what he intended? Um, 
it's almost like something that we start to rationalize. It's almost, you know, sometimes we use it as a license to sin because we feel that, you know, temptation coming up and we're, and we're saying, all right, I know if I, I know, you know, sometimes we plan to sin, right? I, I know that if I don't do something different about this temptation right now or I remove myself from the equation, I'm going to end up here. But it's, you know what, it'll be okay this time because I know God will forgive me. Um, but confession isn't just for temporary relieving our conscience, Confession is meant to bring about change. It's meant to lead us. The Bible word for this is repentance. Um, imagine that you had a friend who took advantage of you. Like you knew every three months they're going to come by and they're going to ask you for, you know, to borrow that $5 that they never seem to have uh, to be able to pay you back. And that's just kind of how the relationship is. Just every few months, you know, you're going to get a call from them, and, and that's going to be, and they're going to be like, hey, man, I'm so, I'm so sorry to be calling you and asking you this again, or hey, man, I, I know I sold you out again, and I, I didn't mean to. Like, how many more times is that going to happen in your life before you realize or, you know, think, I don't know if that apology is genuine? You, you know, well, we've all been there and had that kind of experience. Where it's like at some point, like, do they, do they actually re really mean this? Because they're not doing anything different with their life. Well, the same thing in our relationship with our confession and repentance with our guilt. We confess to be changed. And this is what God seeks for us in, in, in our life, is, is that he wants to see us change because he knows that that's the thing that's going to release us from the power of guilt. And what's tied to that is that um, it, it's just the fact that when we sin, it's very rare that we're able to sin in a silo. Uh, that that we've talked we talk about this all, all, all the time as a church that we're not called to just a personal relationship between us and God. It's always a communal relationship. And that when we sin, it affects our relationship with other people. It affects our relationship with our family, our friends, our coworkers, our church body, you know, whomever it might be. And we might not make an overt, direct connection between those things, but it's there, and it doesn't impact those relationships. And so one of the things that confession is meant to do is, is not just like be between us and God, but it's also meant uh, to be between us and the people that we've hurt or the people that we've sinned against. I'd be willing to bet that it would be hard for us not to come up with a situation in which we know there's someone that we've wronged and that we feel guilty for it, and we still do because we haven't dealt with it head on yet. There's stuff that we've said that we wish we could take, could take back, someone we've taken advantage of, someone we've lied to, whatever, whatever it may, else it may be. And so in confession, we confess it to God, yes, but we also confess it to each other. Um, I could lose my temper, for example, with my son. Not that I've ever done that. Um, and I know none of you have done that either because that's just, I, you know, that's, that's easy to, to not do. And I, I could do that, and, and I could talk to a friend of mine and say, man, I was a real jerk to my son, and, and that stunk, and I, that really felt bad, and I need to not do that again. I could talk to my wife about it and say, man, I messed up. You know, I, I yelled at, at, at the kids, and, and I wish I hadn't done that. But until I actually talk to them about that or talk to my son about that or talk to the person that I've wronged about that, it's not going to do, do me any good. And I'm not going to feel any better. And it's not going to help me deal with that guilt head on. And so when I've done something, you know, uh, when I've had an argument with my wife and I'm in the wrong, which again, doesn't happen. So these are all hypothetical situations, right? Um, then I need to go admit that. 
And I need to talk with her about what can we do uh, to make sure that we kind of handle this differently uh, when it goes, uh, when, when, it, when it happens again, or hopefully it doesn't happen again. Um, if it was to my whole family, I need to go to my whole family. If it was on Facebook, um, just, just don't get on Facebook. Um, we confess publicly in the same ma- manner and same matter as our offense to the person that we've wronged. And this is, this is a biblical conception of what confession is. It's, it's not like, oh, I did this thing and I'm never going to have to deal with it or apologize to that person or anything. Um, no, that's, that's what we're called to do is to deal with it head on and directly. When John the baptizer came preaching to prepare the way for Jesus, people were coming out, they were repenting, being baptized, and confessing their sin. And this is an expectation that goes all the way back through to the Old Testament. I mean, this is consistent with the character and nature of God and what he calls us into uh, to be uh, people who live in his image. In Numbers uh, chapter 5, verse 5, for example, the Lord says to Moses, Say to the Israelites, any man or woman who wrongs another in any way and so is unfaithful to the Lord is guilty and must confess the sin they have committed. They must make full restitution for the wrong they have done, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it all to the person they have wronged. Which, man, that's, that's starting to get kind of expensive. Um, but, but so is our sin against someone else. That gets pretty expensive too, especially when it festers and we don't deal with it and it's just left there. Um, and the principle laid out is this, is that don't bury your mistakes. Don't bury your sin. Don't keep it secret and just hold it, outside, hold it inside. Make up for it in the best way you can by acknowledging the gift of grace that God has given us to not be completely held down by it and by seeking the good of the person that you and I have wronged. Um, I, I know in many cases this, this may seem impossible. Like, wait, you know, this thing that I have like 10 years ago that happened and, and you really think I should bring this thing back up? I'm... I'm not telling you what I'm th- I think. I, I'm just letting you know the Holy Spirit may be convicting you of this thing just because it's something that hasn't been dealt with yet in your life. And maybe, you know, maybe it's something that happened long ago that you did to someone, and maybe they've since passed on or something like that, and it seems like, oh, there's nothing I can do in this situation. But there is something you can different, do differently and learn from in that situation in how you interact and, um, and live with other people. God wants us to release our guilt and to not hold on to it so that it festers and it damages our hearts. Um, It's not about conscience relief to remove our guilt. It's about changing our life. And when we do that, the guilt begins to dissipate. Confession leads to restitution. It leads to an interaction with God and with each other that deals with Uh, the wrong that we have done. And when we confess publicly, when we confess to the person that we've offended, man, it's amazing how much more accountable it makes us to to that thing. Because when you go up to someone and you kind of, you take your medicine, you're like, man, I was, I was horrible to you on that. And I I should, should have never done that. Chances are, you're probably not going to do that to that person again, when you acknowledge that and you admit it and you deal with it head on. Um, when we lay in our bed at night and confess to God the sins of our day, we can just put that on repeat the next day and the next day and the next. Um, but when we confess our sins to whoever we wronged, our hearts are being changed and our relationship with God becomes unhindered. That's one, of the, that's one of the damaging things about guilt is it keeps us from experiencing the relationship God wants to have with us. 
Check out this example from James chapter 5, starting at verse 15. Then the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, and this may seem like a left turn, uh, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. There is power in confessing to one another. There's power for accountability, there's power for reconciliation, and there's power for the emotion of guilt to lose control over our hearts. The truth is, we will not be able to reconcile our feelings of guilt with the gift of grace from God if we've not resolved the guilt we have for the things we've done to wrong others. And so confessing to God is not a substitute for also confessing to the person we've wronged. And and, and here, when, when we don't do this, here, here, becomes the, here becomes the problem because for years and years and years when we hold on to things, when we hold on to guilt, um, the way that we enable ourselves to be able to not be uh, consistently bogged down and weighed down with that guilt is that we'll ignore it, we'll push it down deep, we'll harden ourselves more, we'll uh, not allow ourselves to feel as much emotion about it anymore, which in turn hurts our relationships with other people. And so that's how you get to you know, a point in your life where you're just angry and you've got no people around you, you know, and that kind of thing. Uh, because when we self-medicate in those unhealthy ways, that's what it leads to. And that's when we get to the point where we're like, man, God, you feel so far away, and people feel so far away. And that's, that's what we're trying to avoid when it comes to this. That's what God doesn't want to see happen for us, because he wants us to be in relationship with him and with, other, and with others. Regardless of how long it's been there, like if you've got something in mind, something that's been going on, when you are willing to confess to God and to others, um, you will be set free from the power of that guilt. Think about... Like, I've got a list of people I know that should come apologize to me, right? Don't we all have that? Is that a thing? Uh, no? Should I not say that? I said it in first service, too. Maybe I shouldn't have. Um, and, and, and you think about, um, right, that, that's not really a healthy thing, so uh, that's all tongue-in-cheek. But you think about how good it would feel for that person to come to you and to finally apologize and admit and, and to kind of be self-aware of that, to, to tell you that, and how amazing and changing that would feel for you. Now flip the script. What if it's you that, that has had this thing that's been nagging at you in your life, and you know that if you could go to this person um, and, and apologize for it, uh, to, to make restitution for it, that how, how change, life-changing it could be for that person. Now, this is not about trying to control and manipulate the reaction of the other person. Like you go to your boss and say, hey, I've been fudging the numbers for the last year. I, you know, who knows how he's going to, she or he is going to react, right? Uh, but it's not about controlling that. It's about dealing with the thing that's been weighing us down and keeping us separated from a relationship with God in the way that he wants us um, uh, to have it with him. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're thinking of a person or event, um, it's still in your heart, uh, confessing to God and confessing to that person um, is, is the practical reaction to getting rid of the control that the emotion of guilt has on our hearts. 
Um, and not doing it just to clear your conscience and feel better in catharsis, but actually confess to be changed. Um, it's, one of the, it's one of the ways that even as we live our lives as Christ followers and we inadvertently, you know, maybe hurt someone, that we can still be able to share the gospel and the good news of Jesus by being a good example, following Jesus' example of, 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 of taking care of those things head on by being quick to confess and not giving the enemy a, uh, a foothold in our hearts with guilt. Because we want to love God with all of our hearts, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. And, and when we don't have a proper understanding or application of what we do with guilt in our lives, uh, we, uh, we aren't able to do that. The heart's pretty important physically. You know, it's pumping blood to everything. We know how valuable it is and how much we should take care of it. Well, our spiritual heart or metaphorical heart, even more so, uh, it affects everything that we do. And so uh, if guilt is lodged in your heart, may you begin the process today of pulling the shrapnel from that so you can uh, start experiencing the goodness of God, uh, regardless of your sin, the mistakes of your, your path, uh, of your past. God is full of grace. He wants us to experience healing and freedom. And so confession is his, his gift uh, to us to be able to experience that and begin uh, to, to uh, share that with, with, with God uh, whom we sinned, sinned against and with others whom we sinned against. And we'll be on the path to breaking free from this enemy of the heart. Uh, confession leads to repentance, which leads to freedom, which leads to life. And so, again, I, I just want to offer, if you need godly counsel on what that looks like for a situation in your life, I'm happy uh, to be here and help provide that. Uh, and I also want to encourage you to, to talk to someone else who you know who is a Christ follower who would help give you some godly counsel on that uh, to share in that burden uh, with you as well um, to lead, lead us to that con confession that ultimately leads to, to life. As we, uh, as we prepare to take communion like we do every week at Velocity, um, you know, there, one of the reasons we, we take communion every week is because there's always a direct connection to whatever we're talking about when it talks, it talks about scripture, practical life application, uh, Christian living, uh, theology, whatever it is, all comes back to being built on the foundation of the resurrection. Um, and that couldn't be even, you know, any more true when talking about guilt and how Jesus breaks us out of the sin cycle. And the, the sin, the confession, forgiveness, and, and being able to come out of that. Because we know that Jesus, uh, his example and his resurrection shows us that um, a new life is possible. A new creation life, a new way of experiencing life is possible when we live life uh, the way that he uh, calls us to. And so we're going to celebrate that, uh, the removal of guilt from our life, that that is possible, that we can heal and experience the freedom of grace uh, because Jesus makes it possible uh, on the cross and through his resurrection. Let's, so let's pray. God, we thank you um, for being able to worship here uh, together as a family uh, of believers. And uh, we ask that you guide us through your Holy Spirit to being free of guilt. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.